my goodness, it is awesome to be with you guys. I, I get so fired up. I want you to know, I pastor a 148-year-old church, and to come and hang out with a six-year-old church, you guys just stoked me up so much. There's so much energy here and so much fire and so many new ideas. You know, Josh, he talks about me mentoring him. Oh, my goodness. I, he mentors me, and I'm not blowing smoke. I literally come to this trip with a list of about 10 issues that I've got to ask Josh about because he, like, is the leadership guru. Everybody talks about Josh. And, you know, Josh and Lisa Hoosman, they're like, we've produced a lot of great leaders at our Church of Purpose Church. These two are like two faces on our Mount Rushmore. I'm serious. If you have the Mount Rushmore, Mount Baldy, we should do a Mount Rushmore up there. Their faces would be up there. You know, uh, Josh was our junior high pastor. Can you imagine? Pastor Josh is a junior high pastor. He was like the coolest junior high pastor ever and one of the top ones in Southern California. Then we made him our young adult pastor. And he was so-so until he was uh, buying candles and incense in a line at a store. Because when you're a young adult pastor in Southern California, that's all you do is buy candles and incense. It's all, he was buying candles. And, and who should be standing there in line but Lisa? And they met and sparks flew and the history was made. And then he became an awesome young adult pastor. He was so-and-so until he and Lisa got together, and then boom, it just exploded. They had one of the coolest young adult ministries, The Rising. I was just going through some old material the other day. I'm like, oh, you, you were doing the coolest things back then. But you know what? He just always pined to go back to his home state of Indiana. He was from Indiana, came out to California for a seminary training, was with us, and he just always wanted to go back. And Lisa was willing to go back to a far country like Sarah and Abraham or something like that. And she was said, I'm all in. How many of you are glad that they followed God's call and came back to plant a church in Indiana? And the rest is history. And you know, you should applaud yourself because uh, you are, I, I'm, I'm really not blowing smoke. I mean that you are the talk of California. We have an association of hundreds of churches in Southern California, uh, Nevada, Arizona, Hawaii, and, and you are the talk of the Pacific Southwest because everybody's like, have you heard what's going on at Mercy Road? When you're a part of it, it happens so gradually that you're not like aware of the growth and of the dynamic things that are going on and the changes, but we hear about, you know, news from afar comes back from Indiana and everybody's talking about it and everybody's like, man, how can we learn from Mercy Road? So give yourselves a hand as to how God is using you. Would you do that? Because God is using you. And the analogy I use is, um, and any of you have grandchildren here? Anybody with grandchildren? Oh yeah, all right. Well, our grandchildren are far away. So we have ones in Peru and Washington DC and Seattle. Only one set of grandchildren is in uh, Southern California. And when you don't see them all the time, like you parents, your children gradually grow up. But when you're a grandparent out of state, you just see them once in a while. And whenever you see them, it's like, oh, they've changed so much, or oh, they've grown so much. It's just, it's just crazy. Well, that's the way it is for me when I come to Mercy Road, because I come like once every year or two, and I'm like, oh my goodness, look what they're doing here, look what they're doing there. And I always steal things. The staff hates it when I go to Mercy Road because I always come back saying, well, Mercy Road does it this way, so we've got to do it this way. Mercy Road does this, so we got to do it. So anyway, you guys, you're really setting an example for a lot of churches, as, as Josh and Lisa have set an example for a lot of pastors and their wives. And I just praise God for you all, and it's just, just wonderful. And we think Indiana is like the coolest state ever. We love coming out here. 
And Josh always shows me such a good time. I mean, he took me to a Colts game one year, took me to a, pa- uh, to a Pacers game one year. And by the way, um, uh, where is Lance? Lance, I was talking to in the restaurant. Okay, Lance and I were talking in the restroom, and we agreed that I'm not going to preach the rest of this message. Uh, what we're going to do instead is we're just going to do a 30-minute prayer vigil against LeBron James. How does that sound? Yeah, we're just going to pray. And so to, 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 this afternoon, when you see the game, if you see the ball from LeBron going right towards the basket, and all of a sudden it just veers off, that's an angel of heaven swatting the ball away. Because Lance and I said, that's what we should spend this uh, time doing. But we're not going to do that. But anyway, we got to see them. Um, oh, my son-in-law is a graduate of IU, so we spent uh, like a nostalgia tour all day Friday. We just walked the campus of IU, and he'd show us his fraternity. And, and by the way, uh, the worship leader, Eric, and by the way, you have the greatest praise band east of the Mississippi. I don't want to do, you know, diss my band back in, uh, back in California, so I'll say east of the Mississippi. Your music here is staggering. I mean, my wife was here at the earlier service and kids, some of my kids, and I told them, wait till you hear the worship. Well, well, Eric, your worship leader was not a fraternity brother. They were both in fraternities at IU at the same time, but they were part of what's called a Greek intervarsity, where intervarsity has Christians across the different uh, fraternities. And so my son-in-law knew Eric, so we have that connection as well. Now, the thing that did crush me, though, is when I wanted to visit the town where Stranger Things takes place and, and Pawnee where Parks and Recreation takes place and Josh said, they don't exist. And I, I was like, you're hurting my ears. You're hurting my ears. I, I was devastated by that to find out that that is not true. So it's gonna take me a while to get over that, Josh. But today, today we're gonna to talk about uh, Meanwhile Back in Heaven. Meanwhile Back in Heaven. So just as Eric and, and Josh said earlier, we've been talking about heaven and What a series you all have had. I can't wait to get the tapes and listen to them, especially the near-death experience stuff. That is like awesome stuff. And and we've been talking about the nature of heaven, what heaven's like. But today what we're going to look at, a little bit different direction, the perspective of heaven on what's going on on earth in your life. And what's going to help you get the most practical part out of this, impact out of this, is think right now of a situation. Does anybody here have any area of their life where they're confused about what God is up to. Just, just in any way, raise your hand if you do. Okay, we're in good company here. Yeah, we have areas where like, God, what are you up to? Does anybody here have anything that might be a problem in your life? Anybody have a problem? Anything that keeps you worried, up at night, thinking about, uh, concerned about? Well, you're in good company, and I believe God invited you here. He got you out of bed this morning. It's a gorgeous day, but you said, you know what? I'm going to make it a priority to worship God and to study his word, and I believe he invited you here to be encouraged that even when you think everything is against you, God is behind the scenes, meanwhile back in heaven, working everything for you. And you see this right here. I made a total mistake. Please forgive me. This is what distance and and me not connecting and communicating clearly. It should be the reverse. That is, everything is against me. You can see that in your life clear as a bell. Oh, you can see the bad stuff in your life easily. But if you take the other one, everything is for me, should have been the one that was upside down and holding a mirror so that it's reversed. If you take it upside down and, and, and reverse, then you realize 
God is working everything for you, even when it seems like everything is against you. Now, the story we're going to use is a very familiar story in the scripture. It's one of the best known. I mean, they made a Broadway musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, on this. But if you've never read the story, I encourage you, before you go to bed tonight, it'll read like a novel. Start in the first book of the Bible, book of Genesis, chapter 37, and just read to the end of the book. And I'm telling you, you won't be able to turn it down. It's like a page turner. It's like one of the greatest stories ever told. It's just amazing. I'm going to skip around in it a lot. So you may want to read it so that you, you kind of understand the background of it. Um, but we're going to skip around and we're going to look at it from a very different perspective, from the perspective not of Joseph, who's kind of the hero of the story, but from his father named Jacob. So we're going to kind of turn it around and look at it from a totally different perspective. And I think we're going to get some cool stuff out of it, particularly if we're facing some hard stuff in our life. I love this stupid story. And Josh and Lisa will tell you that never stops me from sharing a story, no matter how dumb it is. Uh, A man observed a woman in the grocery store with a three-year-old girl in her grocery cart. As they passed the cookie section, the child asked for cookies and her mother told her no. The little girl immediately began to whine and fuss, and the mother said quietly, Now, Ellen, we just have half of the aisles left to go through. Don't be upset. It won't be long. He passed the mother again in the candy aisle. Of course, the little girl began to shout for candy. When she was told that she couldn't have any, she began to cry. The mother said, There, there, Ellen, only two more aisles to go, and then we'll be checking out. The man again happened to be behind the pair at the checkout where the little girl immediately began to clamor for gum and burst into a terrible tantrum upon discovering there would be no gum purchased today. The mother patiently said, Ellen, we'll be through this checkout stand in five minutes, and then you can go home and take a nice nap. The man followed them out to the parking lot and stopped the woman to compliment her. I couldn't help noticing how patient you were with little Ellen. The mother broke in, my little girl's name is Tammy. My name is Ellen. I'm Ellen. How many of you with little kids can identify that? You talk yourself through the day. You know, now Joanne, now Debbie, now Glenn. Uh, just get through this, and you'll get through to the other side. Well, we're going to see that in Jacob's life, and I hope you can apply it to your own life. Okay, we pick it up with Genesis chapter 35. Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephra, J- Rachel. Now, this is the love of of his life, okay? Just like Lisa's the love of Josh's life, Rachel was the love of Jacob's life. Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair, you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Onai, which in Hebrew means son of my sorrow. But... His father named him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Now, usually you can take one punch in life and you can can stand up, okay? You take one hit, and this was a big one. He lost the love of his life, and yet Jacob is able to turn a day of sorrow into a day of hope. He says, I don't want my son for the rest of his life to have son of sorrow, my sorrow. I don't want that to be his name. I want to be son of my right hand. And so he had enough strength taken one hit to say, let's be careful now and turn this thing from a day of tragedy into a day of hope. And most people can handle one punch. Most of us can take one punch, one bit of trouble, one problem, 
know what the problem is? Problems and trouble don't come one at a time, do they? They come in bunches. How many of you have found that true in your life? It's like, man, it's not the first punch that gets you. It's the second, it's the third, it's the fourth, it's the fifth. When, when, when they come in groups, I, I'd like to say to the Lord, Lord, I know I need some trouble in my life. Because if I didn't ever have a problem, if I didn't ever have trouble, I would be an arrogant jerk, okay? So I need some trouble just to keep me from being an arrogant jerk. And I need some trouble to keep me depending on you and not depending upon myself. But Lord, could you space it out to one piece of trouble every five years? How does that sound? So have some trouble and you rest from it and you recover from it. And then five years later, you get some more trouble and it's just kind of spaced out evenly. How many of you would like it if trouble came that way? But it doesn't, does it? It comes like one, two, three. It's the second, third, fourth thing that'll get you. That's a little nail you, you know. Uh, my dad uh, was utterly not afraid of snakes. He was a forester and just had no fear of snakes. He literally, as a forester in California, would grab a rattlesnake going down a hole and grab it by the tail and snap it and kill it, you know. His son was a total wussy boy when it came to snakes. I was terrified of snakes. And so I would always, when we were hunting, I'd always walk behind my dad and then he told me the story. He says, you know, Glenn, it's the second or the third guy that gets bit in the line by the snake. The first one just gets him a little mad. The second one a little madder. It's the third one where the snake bites. And maybe it's that way for you. It's that second piece of trouble. It's that third piece of trouble that, that'll get you. Uh, like I said, Josh always liked to show me a good time when I come. And so a couple times ago on a Saturday night, he says, hey, how would you like to go to a boxing match in Kokomo? And I'd always wanted to visit Kokomo. That was on my, like, bucket list. And so I said, absolutely. And he said, the reason we're going to go there is because Charles Stanback from our church, he's, he's fighting there that night. And I'm like, and he's sponsored by Mercy Road. And I'm like, okay, a fighter sponsored by Mercy Road. That's great. So, so we go there. And as we pull up to the armory, the National Guard armory there in Kokomo, it's a scary group of people going into this building. I mean, it looked like the bar from Star Wars. You, you know what I'm talking about, the bar in Star Wars? And I'm like, oh, man. And we get in there, and this is a scary group of people. I realize it's not a boxing match. It's a cage fight. So we're in a cage fight in Kokomo. And it is a rough crowd. And I'm looking around, but I wasn't too afraid because I had Josh with me. And... <laughs> And he can dial 911 as fast as anybody can do that. So I, I felt like we were safe. So then this guy gets up, the MC for the evening, and he's this big guy with a big beard, and he's all tatted up, and he goes, let's get ready to rumble. And everybody's, ah. Then he goes, but before we do that, let's stand and commit the evening to the Lord in prayer. I'm like, what? what? And Josh leans over to me and goes, bet you didn't see that coming. And, so, and, I, and I didn't. But anyway, Charles goes on. And he like taps the guy out. I guess he never lost a match until just recently. He did a comeback. And um, I'm thinking of a comeback, but I never coming back. There's never anything to come back from. So at any rate, he's did a comeback and he finally lost, but he'd never lost a match. He knocked this guy out with one punch. Boom. And he was down. It was over in like, in like 10 seconds. It was over. And I just had to laugh because he was sponsored by Mercy Road. So all the others are like, sponsored by Bud Light. Sponsored by Michelob, next cage fighter, sponsored by Mercy Road. You know, it's a show him no mercy from Mercy Road. Now, most people you don't get punched out by one punch, but it's the second, it's the third, it's the fourth punch that'll get you. Well, here they come from Jacob, for Jacob. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephra. 
That is Bethlehem. That's the Bethlehem from the, the Jesus birth story. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Okay, now we skip ahead in the story to chapter 37. Joseph's brothers hate him, and so they, they're going to sell him into slavery. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So boom, he loses the love of his life, Rachel. Boom, he loses his beloved son, Joseph. And, and now he just can't, is on the verge of, just can't, can't take anymore. You know, I've heard that one of the deepest hurts in life is the loss of a child. Just that's, that's one of the biggest punches life will ever give you. There's this couple back in Pomona that Kimberly and I, an elderly couple in our church, and their son was killed 60 years ago. He was backed over by uh, like a garbage truck. And, and it was that case that, you know, any major big piece of machinery. Now, whenever it backs up, you hear the beep, beep, beep to warn people. It came from his death uh, 60 years ago. That's where they made the law across the nation that you had to have beepers on when a, when a piece of equipment backed up. But I'm telling you, when we talk to them about their son, it's been 60 years and they still tear up. It's as if it happened just yesterday or, or the past week. That pain is so deep. And so now he takes a second hit a hit from the loss of the love of his life, Rachel. Boom, he takes another hit. He thinks he's lost his son, Joseph. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Now he's feeling down and out. But here comes a wonderful little word. Don't you love the little words in the Bible? They make all the difference. How about that little word, but? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. Don't you love that little word, but? Your life was going in a certain direction, but Jesus stepped in and took it in a different direction. We're going to add one to your repertoire, and it's the little word, Meanwhile, the little word meanwhile. Meanwhile, God is up to something, and Jacob thinks everything is against him. But meanwhile, in Egypt, God is in the process of making his son, who he thinks is dead, actually the second most powerful man in all the world. Meanwhile, in heaven, God is up to something. Anybody admit to being um, remembering like I do as an old man? I remember the old westerns, and maybe some of you see it on Nickelodeon or whatever. Some of the old westerns, remember they used to say something was going on in the story, and they'd say, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Anybody remember that? Yeah, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Well, that's what this is. Meanwhile, back in heaven. You came here today. God invited you here just to hear this one word. Meanwhile, you're thinking right now of that problem in your life, or you're thinking right now about something that's confusing. God invited you here to hear one word. Meanwhile, back in heaven, 
God is actually working that thing together for your good. And that's what he was doing for Jacob. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's official, the captain of the guard. Now we fast forward to chapter 42. And the brothers go to Egypt to get food because there was a famine. And they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And he puts his brothers through a series of tests to see if their character has changed since they sold him into slavery. When they came to their father Jacob, the brothers come back from Egypt in the land of Canaan. They told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us. That's Joseph. And treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more. They think Joseph is dead because nobody lasts as a slave back then for more than a year or two. He says, one is no more. And the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land, that's Joseph, said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Now Jacob finds out that his other son, Simeon, is a prisoner in Egypt. Boom, he loses Rachel, the love of his life. Boom, he thinks he loses Joseph, a beloved son. Boom, another son is now in prison in Egypt. Do you see how the hits are piling up? like they are in your life and in my life right now. It's those multiple hits that'll just take you down. Well, it gets even worse. Uh, It says, take food for your starving households and go on, but bring your youngest brother, that's Benjamin, the one that was born when Rachel died in childbirth years before, but bring your youngest brother, Benjamin, to me, so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Oh my goodness, boom, Rachel. Boom, Joseph. Boom, Simeon's in prison. Now, boom, they need to take Benjamin back to prison or they're going to all starve from lack of food. Then I'll give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver, his payment for the food. When they and their father saw the money pouches, Joseph had arranged for it to be snuck back into their pouches, they were frightened. They're going to think that they stole, we stole from them. Now we're all going to die. Punch number five. Boom, Rachel, boom, Joseph, boom, Simeon, boom, uh, Benjamin. Now they're all going to die. Their father, Jacob, said to them, and maybe you're in this place here today. He just can't take it anymore. Can't take it anymore. He's just down for the count. You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Now here's what cool. From Jacob's perspective, everything is against him. And this is terrible. One bad thing after another. But we get to be in the position of heaven's perspective. And we're like, no, 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 Jacob. You like to jump into the story. Jacob, hang in there. Everything's not against you. God is actually working everything for you. You just can't see it yet. And remember the mirror analogy that we used? Right now, he thinks that everything is against him. And we put that title back up there, everything is against me. But actually, when you turn it upside down, and when you flip it, then you can realize that everything is for me. Everything is not against me. Everything is actually working for me. This is what Paul said it would be like this side of heaven. He said, for now, in this life, 
we see only a reflection as in a mirror, upside down and reversed. Then we shall see face to face. Someday you're going to stand face to face in heaven with Jesus and everything is going to be clear. You're going to see that he was working it all for you. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Paul said it this way in Romans. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or the breakup of a relationship or the love of your life walking out the door or failing a class at school or, or getting fired or having to drop out of school or the illness of a child or a divorce or the death of a spouse or bankruptcy or a cancer diagnosis. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced. Would you say those four words out loud with me together? For I am convinced. One more time out loud together. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and all God's family said, amen. Isn't that awesome? Now, I love you, and your pastor, Pastor Josh and, and Lisa, they love you, and I, and I come here just on occasion, but to the degree that I've gotten to know you, I love you, and because they love you, I love you. And, and we hope, hope, hope that the thing you're going through right now God makes clear to you or solves it sooner rather than later. How many would prefer it be tomorrow? Wouldn't that be great? Lord, tomorrow. How about this week? Certainly by the end of 2018. That's what we're hoping. But we can't promise that. But here's what I can promise you. Is that if it doesn't happen sooner, I promise you it'll happen later. And I promise you, by the time you get to heaven, you're going to see that that thing, I mean, sometimes you see it years later. I mean, there's things that happened to me years ago, and at the time, I'm like, there's no way any good will come of this. And years later, I'm able, it's one of the benefits of old age, is you begin to see, my goodness, God worked that out. Maybe he'll do that in the future as well. And you begin to get evidence for it. But I promise you it'll happen in heaven. It'll happen later, even if it doesn't happen sooner. And here's how it happened for Jacob. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all of Egypt. Jacob was stunned. 
I mean, if you could see, if I could pull back the curtain of heaven for just a moment so you could see what God is really up to in that situation in your life, you would be stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And that's what I've been hoping to do just over this last half hour, is just for us to pull back the curtain of heaven for just a moment and that the, your spirit will be revived. Maybe there's some hope in that tough, hopeless situation. And Israel, which is another name for Jacob, same person, Jacob and Israel, said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Skipping to chapter 46. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. And when they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, now I am ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. And when you get to heaven, we're going we're gonna to wrap our arms around our, each other and cry, saying, oh, my goodness, it was true after all. Heaven is real. And we just imagine ourselves in heaven, blown away by the reality. And then as Jesus takes us through our life and shows us where he was working for good through the good and the seemingly bad, we are going to weep and hold each other just like Jacob and his son uh, Joseph did. I love this little uh, story from the past. A maid was great in the kitchen and an immaculate housekeeper, but her main strength was that she was never ruffled by anything. She was always calm and in control. When asked about her secret, she quoted a verse in the Bible. It came to pass. When told that this was not the complete verse, she replied, it is for me. It means that whatever comes, comes to pass, it doesn't come to stay. And maybe that's why you were invited by God here today to just hear that one phrase. You know that thing you're going through right now? It will come to pass. It hasn't come uh, to stay. I love that line from a Casting Crown song when it says, when I think my life is falling apart, it is actually falling into place. When we think it's falling apart, God's behind the scenes. Meanwhile, God is in heaven, causing it all to fall into place. I want to leave you with a little acronym, H-O-P-E, H-O-P-E, hope, hold on, pain ends. Hold on, pain ends, H-O-P-E. There's a chemical symbol, N-A-C-L. N-A is for sodium, C-L for chlorine. Either of those things by themselves are poisonous to human beings. They'll kill you. But if you stick them together, they form sodium chloride, which is salt, which makes things taste awesome. <laughs> now, it'll raise your blood pressure later on, but don't worry about that right now, all right? And God is taking even poisonous things in our life, and he's putting them together to make salt. It makes our lives have depth and saltiness. Uh, we're, we're, we're able better to minister to other people in pain because we've dealt with the pain in, in, in our lives. It makes life taste good. 
It makes us saltier and have a preservation effect and more impact uh, on, on other people. I'm going to have Eric come back up as, the, as leads us in closing worship. I just want to read you one final thing um, um, from Marshall Shelley. He writes, even as a child, I loved to read. And I quickly learned that I would most likely be confused during the opening chapters of a novel. Do you ever start into a novel and it's like, what's going on here? New characters were introduced. Disparate, seemingly random events took place. Subplots were complicated and didn't seem to make any sense in relation to the main plot. But I learned to keep reading. Why? Because you know that the author, if he or she is good, will weave them all together by the end of the book. Eventually, each element will be meaningful. At times, such faith has to be a conscious choice, even when I can't explain why any bad, tragic, or painful thing occurs, I choose to trust that before the book closes, the author will make things clear. Now, all the promises we've been talking about, they're only true if you let God write your story. If I write my own story, it's a mess. And when I wrote my own story before I met Jesus, it was a mess until I chose to give the pen to him. Um, maybe the reason God invited you here is to make the decision today to hand the pen over to God. Say, God, I've read, written some chapters in my life that I'm not proud of. I, I've written some chapters in my life that I don't know if they're going to turn out well because I'm the one that's writing them and I'm not that good of a writer. But God, I'm going to choose by faith to hand you the pen of my life. And I'm going to give you a blank sheet of paper. Would you write my story?